Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. <laughs> well, well, why, thank you, Richard. Um, how cool is that? What a great introduction that is. That's um, Richard Barnes, who's the webmaster of our site, and who many of you will know from the uh, jefftompson.com uh, podcasts. Uh, that's the Richard of Jeff and Richard, or Richard and Jeff. You know, if, if you listen to the podcast, you'll understand that. And if you're not listening to it, you, you, you really should be. It's one of my mother's favourites. Which again, if you're a regular listener to the JeffThompson.com podcast, you'll you'll know that my mother likes it. Um, yeah, great. That in it. That, that was um, Richard. I was on the phone to him, and he was playing around with some of his uh, sound software. Richard does like his gadgets. And started putting that together as I was chatting to him on the uh, the phone. So um, I think it's great that and Richard missed his tea because of it. Missed his tea. He was that busy putting it together, or his evening meal, his dinner. If you're from down south, um, but yeah. So thank you very much, Richard, for that. I really do like it, and I hope uh, all the listeners do too. Uh, this month the subject is Kushanku Kata or Kanku Dai Kata, if you practice Shotokan. Uh, we're going to have a little discussion about its history, uh, some of its application principles as well. Um, and at the end of the podcast, we've just got a few little bits of news to share with you too. So uh, thanks uh, for listening in, and I'll now hand you over to myself <laughs> for a discussion on Kushanku Kata. Kushanku Kata, also known as Kanku Dai or Kusokan, is one of the most popular forms in modern karate. It's a physically demanding and visually impressive form when it's performed correctly, and it's one of the most popular kata in modern competition. As well as being a popular form with kata competitors, it also has a great deal to offer the practically minded karateka. Um, and this podcast will look at the history of the kata and examine some of the key concepts relating to its application. The kata is said to be a record of the combative techniques and concepts formulated by a Chinese martial artist who went by the name of Kushanku. Uh, some karate historians believe that Kushanku was a military title as, a, as, as opposed to a, a personal name, and a breakdown of the individual characters used to write Kushanku would seem to support that. Uh, nevertheless, the kata is named after a specific martial artist from China. Now, Kushanku is said to have came from China to Okinawa in the 1750s with uh, students and other military personnel. Um, and there's a document called Ashima Hiki, uh, which translates as the note of Ashima, which gives us some information on Kushanku. Um, I was recently sent a very interesting uh, paragraph on this uh, important document uh, from the book uh, Motobu Choki and uh, Ruku Karate by Iwa Kohaku. Um, unfortunately, that book's not available in English, but one of the forum members, uh, Gavin uh, Poffley, he was kind enough to translate this particular bit uh, uh, for me. Now, the document uh, details a ship uh, running ashore in Ashima Bay, and it includes interviews with the crew of that, that ship. Now, in one of these interviews, the captain of the ship tells of an extremely impressive grappling demonstration uh, that he witnessed that was given by Kishanku. Uh, the interview tells us that Kashanku was not a physically strong man, and yet he defeated much stronger opponents with ease. Uh, we're also told a little bit about his methods. We're told that his methods involve placing one hand on the opponent while striking with the other hand. Uh, we're also in told that uh, Kashanku made use of uh, effective piercing leg movements, and we'll come back to discuss the importance of those observations later. 
Now, one person who became a student of Kishanku uh, during the time he was in Okinawa was Tode Sakagawa. Uh, Tode Sakagawa began studying the martial arts after his father, who had frequently been the victim of bullies, had encouraged him to do so. And you can read more about uh, that in The Weaponless Warriors by uh, Richard Kim. Now, Tode Sakagawa began his study of the martial arts under Pichin Takahara, and again, Pichin's a, a title as opposed to a name, and eventually he became one of uh, his top students. Uh, it was Takahara who said that um, Sakagawa should adopt the name Tode, which is obviously an old term for karate, in recognition of his outstanding fighting skill. Now, Pichin Takahara is said to have seen Kishanku demonstrate his fighting prowess and was greatly impressed by it, and it was uh, then Takahara who encouraged Sakagawa to seek out instruction from Kishanku. Um, so Tode Sakagawa studied under Kishanku for a number of years, and eventually he formulated Kishanku Kata as a means to record the combative methods that Kishanku had taught him. Tode Sakagawa was the first martial arts teacher of the legendary Soken Matsumura, who was chief bodyguard to three Okinawan kings, um, Matsumura became uh, Sakagawa's student whilst he was still a, a child, and Matsumura was in turn one of the teachers of Anko Itosu. Now, it's Itosu he, who is credited with creating the Sho, or the lesser version of Kishanku. Now, today some styles practice both the lesser and greater versions of the forms, so that would be you know, Kishanku Dai and Kishanku Sho, whereas others only practice the main version. Now, Itosu was also the creator of the five Pinan, or Hian Katas. And it's obvious from their many similarities that Kishanku Kata heavily influenced the development and the subject matter covered by the Piran series. Gichin Funakoshi, who's a founder of Shotokan, was a student of Itosu's, and he gave both versions of Kishanku the Japanese name of Kanku, meaning uh, to view the sky, in recognition of the way the opening movements performed. Um, when karate was introduced to uh, mainland Japan, um, this is when Funakoshi gave the kata these alternative names as a means uh, as a means to make the art more accessible to the, the Japanese. Stop using the Okinawan Chinese terms and use Japanese terms for Japanese people. Um, so Kishanku, or Kanku Dai, uh, was also said to be uh, Funakoshi's favourite form. Now Kishanku is one of the longest forms and it contains a wide variety of techniques. There are no detailed written records of the, the techniques that Kishanku originally taught Sakagawa, but we do of course have the kata itself. Um, but that gives us no definitive answer when we ask what were the original applications of the form. So the applications of Kishanku Kata are therefore open to interpretation. Now from the Ashima Hiki we know that Kishanku was a skilled grappler. Um, that we, we know that he used one hand to control the opponent while striking with the other hand. Uh, and we know that he used piercing leg movements. Uh, we can therefore confidently say that the Kata contains plenty of, of grappling. Um, the captain of the ship observed that, observed that Kishanku was a good grappler. And that's certainly a breakdown of my breakdown of the form includes many throws, takedowns, and locks, etc. Um, the use of one hand to control and locate uh, the opponent whilst the other limb strikes is, as I see it, is one of the key methods of old style karate. Um, now, essentially, the non striking arm has two jobs in kata. The, the arm that isn't striking will be doing one of two things. It's never held in a guard. Guards are something we use for like sport fighting when we're moving in out of range. If we're already in range then the, the, the non-striking hand should be busy. It should be active. As Motobu said, you know, never have a shite, never have a dead hand. So essentially the non-striking arm has two, two jobs in kata. Now the first is to locate and control uh, the opponent's head during the chaos of close range combat so that the accuracy of strikes is being improved. The head of course being the main target in a fight, you know, you knock the guy out, he's no longer a threat, you know. Um, you take out the main control centre. 
Now, this method of using one hand to help locate the head is, is a method I call datum setting. Um, so datum, obviously the singular of data, it means like a known point of information from which all other points are referenced. So if I was to um, grab my opponent with one hand, I know where my hand is in relation to my opponent. I have a knowledge of that point of information. And therefore, through a process that you know, it's called proprioception through my, my body's um, own senses. I know in, in reference to the, the hand that's the hold of the opponent, I know where a head is, his head is, is in reference to that. So during the case of combat, I can strike, you know, with greater accuracy. Um, if you've been to any of my seminars, you'll know that's obviously um, a key part of my teaching is this idea of datum setting. Now, the Ashima Hiki suggests that it, this was also a key part of Kashanku's methods. You know, he told he used one hand to control the opponent while he struck with the other. Um, now, the second use of the non-striking limb uh, in kata is to clear obstructions. So, for example, if I was striking the opponent in the head, he puts his arms up to protect himself or he flinches, then one hand will move those arms out of the way so that I can continue to strike um, strike the target. So the non-striking hand will set datums, tell us where the opponent's head is, or it will clear obstructions. Now, the final method referenced in the Shimahiki is piercing leg movements. Now, it's not clear to me if this refers to kicking or driving in with the legs to disrupt the opponent's balance and posture. Now, both methods can certainly be found within Kushanku Kata. We can therefore say with a good deal of certainty that the motions of Kushanku Kata should be applied in a way that includes grappling, datum setting, kicking, obviously, and driving in with the legs to disrupt the opponent's balance and posture. Sadly, that's not how the Kata is commonly interpreted in many of today's dojos. The most common interpretations of the form have the combatants, if we can even call them that, using unrealistic techniques, in an unrealistic way, in a, an unrealistic, greatly exaggerated distance. Um, the, the bunkai attributed to the form is often something two people do together in a choreographed way. As I've said before, you know, good bunkai isn't something you do with a partner, it's something you do to an enemy, to an opponent. It doesn't demand the, uh, the other guy's compliance. Um, now, if we approach a kata armed with the historical information we have access to, and more importantly, we also approach it with realism and pragmatism, there's no reason why we can't unlock the techniques and concepts that the kata was originally meant to record. It's simply a case of analysing the kata from the correct perspective and in the correct way. Now, in some cases, it's blindingly obvious how the motion of a kata is meant to be applied. Uh, motions, for example, that look to me, obviously, they look like a throw. It's a throw, you know, to... Anyone with any experience of throwing, you look at a movement, it's a throw. But because a lot of karate people don't understand throwing, they, they say, oh, it's a double block. Well, I mean, it's hard enough to block anything in a real fight, never mind two things at once. Um, so, you know, sometimes, again, you know, we, we have these strange applications that, that, that fly in the face of what's blindingly obvious to anyone with any range of combative experience. Now, while we're interpreting the kata, even if we do vary from the original, if we approach the kata in, in the right way, um, we're ensuring we stay true to the original intent, which was practical fighting methods for use in the civilian environment. So we may differ a little from what the original kata had in mind, but I don't think that's a problem so long as we stay true to the original intent. Um, in many cases, if we're seeking the same we're using the kata, if you like, to seek the same answers to the same problems, where then we're going to come to the same conclusions. Um, so I don't think that understanding the applications of a form, it's not 
it's not difficult you know if you have understanding of the nature of combat and a grasp of the language of kata and by that i mean you know how kata are put together how they're supposed to be constructed and how we read them if you like um then we can understand what those moves are for you know and the study of kata is something that everybody should be doing it's not uh, we shouldn't just be practicing the kata we should be studying them looking at them in depth uh, now my own study of kashanku kata has revealed strikes traps throws takedowns joint locks chokes strangles um all kinds of things in relation to this podcast one particular application is of interest to me is in which the opening move or the opening salutation if you like when the arms go up in the air um to me that records a, like a flinch that you may instinctively employ, employ during the opening stages of a fight if you were taken by surprise now obviously we should always you know make sure we're not taken by surprise and we should always aim to be preemptive and proactive rather than reactive um but you know it can happen and one thing that we're likely to do when punched is we'll flinch um now the opening part of the kata also examines how that flinch can be used to gain control of the opponent's limbs and create openings for strikes there's a really nice kind of drill that can be extracted from the first uh, eight or nine moves of that form you know you can practice it in a very flowing way um so if you see the third dvd in my bunkai jitsu series there's more details on there and those who are regulars at the seminars are almost certain to have seen that drill at some point now obviously the flinch is presented in a very formal way in kata um but it's always remember that in a live fight um it's got to be instinctive and 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 rough around the edges um now we can think kata's like a record of information uh, and as such it can be compared to a collection of recipes we need recipes to know how to cook good food but we don't eat recipes um in a similar way the kata gives us the information needed to fight uh, and this information is presented in a very formal way however we should never mistake these formal instructions for the actual fighting skills those instructions are supposed to develop um now the kata is always formal and precise now the live application of kata in the chaos of combat will be far from formal and precise um, as funakoshi himself said you know he said always perform the kata exactly combat is another matter So kata tells us what methods we should drill, what methods we should take into our live training and you know how we should fight. Um but the solo kata should never be considered uh, an alternative or a substitute to uh, live practice. Um the kata gives us the information for that live practice, but it is not the live practice itself. You know, it's the old saying, it's the map, it's not the territory. And uh, now sadly, the people do consider kata to be a, a alternative to to the live training and it's a very um, common and unfortunate misunderstanding that now back on track it seems to me that the opening movements of kashanku kata deal with the opening stages of an actual fight um it's the you know the flinch you know fight kicks off you haven't been aware as you should have been you haven't been reactive um the guy may get the first punch and if you're still going you're going to flinch those arms are going to shoot up Um now the other movements towards the start of the form also seem to deal with the early stages of the conflict and they're also quite easy to p- apply as well so um I wonder if it could be that the kata records Kishanku's syllabus in the order in that it was originally taught now certainly my interpretation of the form has the more physically and technically demanding techniques uh, in actual application not solo performance it has those towards the end of the kata whilst the simplest and most immediate techniques are found towards the start Now, to kind of contrast we've looked at the, the beginning being a flinch you know now the final move in the form records a rather advanced throwing technique that requires good timing and a good degree of physical strength now throughout the martial arts it's common to teach the simplest techniques first and teach techniques that require a better understanding of the basics later on 
Now, Kashanku Kata has many throws and takedowns, but the fact that the most demanding throw in the form is the last technique recorded would again support the idea that the Kata may record Kashanku's syllabus in the order it was taught um, to Sakagawa. Um, now, again, we have no way of knowing for certain, but for me, you know, the idea is certainly worthy of, uh, of consideration. So it's a bit difficult to describe these things, you know, with, with, um, with, obviously you can't see me. <laughs> but the uh, the throwing technique I'm referring to is, is the last movement of the form, and essentially it's a variation on, on, on Kataguruma. Um, it involves stepping round, feeding your arm under your opponent's leg as your head goes under the armpit. You turn and pull them onto the shoulders, then you lift up, as you do at the end of the form, which will load the opponent onto the shoulders, and from there you can throw them in, in any direction. Um, and again, you know that is on the um, Bunkaji 2-3 for those that have, um, have seen that. Or if you come into a seminar in the near future, just ask me and I'll show you it. Um, for the sake of the podcast, we just need to know it's an advanced throw. You know, it is, it, uh, lifting the opponent up onto the shoulders from that position, uh, we, would, we would drop them. It's you know, not the easiest or most simple of techniques by any means. Uh, now, as previously mentioned, there are numerous throws recorded in Kushanku uh, Kata. We have uh, the neck ring, the tackle, uh, hip wheels. Um, but this particular throw is definitely the most advanced, and its advanced nature is very likely to be the reason why it is the last motion in the form. The Kata starts by working with our instinctive reactions and steadily progresses through more technically demanding methods. Uh, so it's my view that not only does the Kata provide the syllabus uh, of an holistic combative system, but it also records the correct uh, teaching uh, or training order in which to develop competence in that system. A Kshanku or Kankudai Kata is frequently said to be one of the most important forms practiced within the various styles of karate. Now history tells us that the Kata is a record of the highly effective techniques that were designed by Kshanku and then subsequently re uh, recorded by uh, Tode Sakagawa. Uh, Kshanku is a very important form and uh, as such it should be uh, studied deeply. Uh, not only does it give us a, a, a holistic, um, wide-ranging uh, set of combative methods, but it also gives us the order in which we should learn them as well. At least that's how, um, that's how I view it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that exploration of Kushanku Kata. I'd um, just like to conclude with a few little bits of news uh, that hopefully you'll find interesting. Uh, the main one, obviously, is that the third issue of Jisen magazine is now out. Uh, that's our free online practical martial arts magazine. I'm just so happy with how that's going. Um, uh, we're getting letters from all over the world. We've got a real big international readership, you know, with three issues in, and it's... Uh, download is getting is just huge so thanks very much to everybody for uh, your interest and in, in supporting that and you know for everyone who's kind of telling the club mates and out there spreading the words on the forum you know um, it, it's brilliant to just know that you, you're all enjoying it so if you haven't checked that out yet obviously if you're one of the few that haven't then uh, if you just go to um, ianabenethy.com i-a-i-n-a-b-e-r-n-e-t-h-y um, you'll just find on the side menu there you'll find the link for the, the just home page and um just download those um, the latest issue and all the back issues from there. Um, the other thing, just you know, as regular listeners will know, I often conclude these podcasts by thanking everyone for listening. Um, main reason for that, of course, is I like making podcasts, and if I didn't have anyone to listen to them, there'd be very little point in making them. Um, but but 
you know, I also like the fact that, um, as I see it, you know, people are, are, are investing in themselves. You know, hopefully you, you feel that these podcasts are useful and they've got useful information. And then you're taking time out of your, um, you know, your schedules to, to further your martial arts study. And I, I, I like that. I like people who um, invest in what they do and take the martial arts seriously. Um, so one thing, it's just a kind of little thank you, really, which is why I stuck it at the end of this podcast. So for those that bother to listen to the <laughs> the whole thing, um, I, I've just got a, a kind of, almost like a little mini gift, really. But I, I've set up a little code on the website um, for the regular listeners to these podcasts. You can get uh, 20% off any of the books and DVDs that are on there. So um, if you wanted to get, like, you know, the Bunkai DVD on Kashanku or anything else you want to buy. We've got a, a, a special offer on there. Um, that, that's only valid until Friday the 21st of November, so if you're listening after that, you should have listened to the podcast sooner. Where have you been? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, because, you know, obviously we've overheads to meet and we can't give permanent discounts, but as our um, regular listeners of the podcast, I think you deserve it. So if you want to take advantage of that up until Friday the 21st of November, just order whatever you want off the uh, the website, and when you come to a enter the coupon at the end there's a little box that says you know do you have a coupon code and the code if you type this in so it's xmd 2t8 so it's x for x-ray um, i can never remember the, the things m for martin d for dog the number two t for terry and uh, number eight so it's xmd 2t8 if you enter that in it'll knock um uh, 20% off the total of your order and obviously we've still got the three for two offers and all that and that's in addition to that as well and that's just you know a little thank you for um for regularly listening to these podcasts so i'll shut up now thanks once again for uh for taking a bit of time out of your schedule to spend a bit of time with me um we'll be back next month with uh with a little bit more so thanks once again and i'll speak to you soon bye bye now